Without further ado, let's welcome Pastor Chris to preach this morning. Reminds me, reminds me, echo, that the church is very much like a duck. Everything looks very smooth on the surface, but below the surface, there's a lot of stuff paddling like stink just to make things happen. And uh, I mean, just that throwaway line, Chris has managed to translate some of the uh, key words uh, into Mandarin. That wasn't a small task to do. That took quite a bit of time and effort, and uh, we really appreciate the time that Chris put into that. Um, And uh, the people who are doing the courses as well, uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes on, even the you know, this morning we lost synchronisation with our, our Proclaim server and had to sort of five minutes, you know, might have noticed or you might not have noticed the service started five minutes late. That was just because um, so- something hit the fan and uh, we had to be, uh, yes, flexible about these things. But anyway, so that, that's, that's interesting. Um, and if you want to get involved in the uh, paddling under the surface part, uh, see me after the surface because it's uh, not the surface, just the service, because uh, it's the exciting part of church life. Let's get on to another exciting part, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before we do, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word today. I thank you that as your gospel is spoken, that the words carry power, they carry the seeds of change in people's lives. And I just pray this morning that we are changed forever by the words in your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Now hopefully most of you have read far enough into Galatians, because that's the book we're going through at the moment, uh, to discover what has caused Paul's opening outburst. Because we've talked in the last few weeks about the fact that Paul starts this letter to the Galatians with a little less friendliness than he does with a lot of his other letters. In fact, he has an emotional outburst from the very beginning. And I've alluded to what what the cause of this outburst was, so if you haven't read far enough ahead, it was basically that there's a group of teachers that's come into the Galatian church and they've been teaching the non-Jewish Christian converts, now there's a mouthful for you, that they were obliged to keep the Jewish cultural customs introduced by Moses. Now, Moses introduced these a long time ago. Uh, And they were being told that they had to keep the dietary laws, they had to get circumcised, and they had to observe all the rest of the ceremonial law in order to be truly pleasing to God. Now, if you were a Galatian at that time, it it wasn't such a big deal. They were used to this sort of thing. After all, Christianity had appeared on the scene, and the message that they were hearing was that The idea was to please God, which is a fairly common understanding. And so when people came and told them how they were to please God, they were actually quite grateful. Because people, who who likes to know these things? How do do I be a good Christian? And you ask that question because you want to know what you have to do. And so the Galatians weren't particularly upset about this. But Paul suddenly pipes up and writes this letter and sort of, emails it to them immediately with urgent flagged in the column and says, hey, this is the opposite of what I've been teaching you. Don't listen to this crap, rubbish, stuff. And 
So I don't know about you, but I'd be a bit confused. It's like, well, hang on, these people are just helping us out, telling us how to please God. How come you are so upset about the fact that what seems reasonable is, is completely wrong? And so Paul then explains to them what the gospel is. I mean, who knows what the gospel is? Two words, what's the gospel? Good news. Nice glib response, isn't it? What does that mean? Good news. Something you don't see when you open the newspaper. But how does good news just become more than just information? Now, good news is like um, you got a pay rise. Yeah, you get a pay rise of $30 a week, but just because you're getting $30 a week, you happen to go up into the next tax, tax bracket so that you get to the next tax amount. So you're actually getting 5 bucks a week. Now that's good news, but it's not exciting news, is it? Good news is when you open the door and there's a cheque that says you've won the lottery and you've got $200 million. Woohoo! That's good news. That you can get excited about. But So how, how does the good news turn from just good information into powerful news that changes your life? And it's encapsulated in these three verses in Galatians. If you've got your Bibles there, turn to Galatians 1. And let's start at verse 3. And it says, May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. You might think that's it. It's all in there. Yes, it is. The real gospel tells us, first of all, who we are. It then says what Jesus did. It tells us what the Father did. And then it tells us why God did it. All in those two little sentences. So, let's start off. Who are we? Well, we're lost and helpless. Who feels lost and helpless? Most people don't want to admit to feeling lost and helpless, do you? I mean, it's like, what are you saying about me? I'm, not, I'm quite capable, thank you very much. I can get by in life without you telling me I'm lost and hopeless. In fact, I don't think I'm hopeless. I think I'm pretty good. Anybody with me? No, nobody else thinks they're pretty good. Oh, there's a few. Good. Although there might be more. It's a bit, a bit hard to tell. So how do, how do I know that the gospel is telling me I'm hopeless and lost? Well, if you look at the word there in that sentence, uh, about third sentence, chapter verse 5, is it? No, 4. It says, in order to rescue us from this evil world. People who need rescuing are not coping well. We don't need rescuing if you're managing all right. Imagine, imagine a drowning... Can, can I use you, Brendan? Um, now, can you stand over here and just imagine that the, you're in seven feet of water. Now... Has anybody got a Bible here, a, a real paper one I can... So, uh, uh, by the way, and you can't, and you can't swim. <laughs> right, so has anybody got a Bible? Yeah, here we go. Now, ignore, ignore the fact that this is a Bible, but I'm standing on the riverbank and I say, here, catch! You, you imagine you can catch and, and not swim. <laughs> 
Sorry about that. What I have just tossed Brendan is a swimming manual. It teaches him how to swim. So what is happening is that he, he is still drowning. So giving him instructions on how to swim while he is drowning and collecting all the bits of paper is actually not helpful. <laughs> now, the other thing I could do was perhaps yell instructions from the bank. Hey, hey, look, it's, it's overarm, like, like this, and kick your legs. Make sure you keep your thumbs down and to the side. No, that's really bad form. Um, you don't yell instructions. What do you do? You throw a rope. Uh, and No, because he's drowning. I've thrown him a rope. He's, he's th thinking, what the heck is this? How am I going to learn to swim from a rope? It's, it's just a piece of string. And so, me be, being clever on the bank, <laughs> he, he can hold his breath for longer than that. I've heard him. <laughs> I yell instructions, grab onto the rope. And I pull him in. Get him on the bank to give him mouth to mouth. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> He's saved, yes. So, when you see somebody drowning, you don't throw them some teaching on how to swim. You don't yell them instructions on their form from the bank. No, no, kick your legs more. No, you throw them a lifeline. And often, when people are drowning, you throw them a lifeline and they don't know what to do with it. It's just it's a piece of rope. A piece of rope will not teach you to swim. A piece of rope doesn't appear in any swimming manuals. As like, hold this piece of rope to learn to swim. It's actually unrelated to the swimming aspect. It's totally related to the rescuing aspect. You've thrown it to them, and you ha often have to yell, grab the rope! Like they're an idiot, because they're drowning, and half their brain function has gone, so they're an idiot. <laughs> and you yell, grab the rope. That is what Jesus did for us. That is how... We were before Jesus came along. We were in a situation so bad that we couldn't be taught to survive. We didn't need teaching on how to be good. We needed Jesus to throw us a rope and rescue us. And that's what he did. Jesus is a rescuer. Every other religion started in this world was started by people who were teachers. Every other religion or philosophy teaches you how to be a good member of that religion. And if you learn well, then you can be a better member of that religion. And often it's, it's rote learning. I mean, there are religions where you learn scriptures off by heart since childhood. There are some where you have to learn to sit cross-legged very still without getting cramp and meditate. And the better you get it, the, better you, the closer you are to achieving the ultimate state of enlightenment. But it takes learning. Christianity just requires that you agree to be rescued. And some of you are thinking, thank God it doesn't need learning. Because I'm not much good at it. At least I'm not much good at doing what I've learned. It's gone very quiet. Perhaps I shouldn't have said that. Jesus is a great teacher. Don't get me wrong. But his initial purpose in coming was to rescue us. 
because that's what we needed. You see, salvation is nothing to do with us. We are not dog paddling down the river or backstroking down the river leisurely and Jesus throws us a rope. We say, what's this? So I'm here to rescue you. We say, oh, I don't need rescuing, thanks. Managing all right on my own. Because that's how a lot of us think, that we're doing all right. And Jesus has come along and offered us a rescue and we think, yeah, might take it, might not. Our spiritual condition is such that nothing we can do can help God rescue us. We are in a hopeless state. And it takes a lot of humility to recognise that that's the state we're in, unless we accept the rescue that Jesus has given us. So, we're rescued. Well, that's who we are. We're people in need of a rescue. So what did Jesus actually do? He rescued us. We've, we've got to that part. You saw me drag Brendan out of the, out of the river and give him mouth to mouth. And he, he's rescued us. So, what, what did it, what did it, how did he do that? And it says, Jesus gave his life for our sins. He made a sacrifice which was substitution in nature. Because the word for means in place of. So, I don't know whether you realise this, but substitution is why the gospel is such a revolutionary idea. See, Christ's death was not just a sacrifice, but a substitutionary sacrifice. He didn't buy us a second chance. He gave us an... Because who knows what a second chance is? It's when you stuff up and somebody says, there, there, that's all right, do it, try again. But Jesus didn't do that. He did all we needed to do but couldn't do. It's like this, I've got a calculus problem here. Who's anybody here good at calculus? Because you can ignore... Uh, anybody good at lying as well? Um... <laughs> Here's, now, if I was presented with this in an exam and said, okay, if you can solve this problem, then you're saved. I would look at that and think, I'm doomed. <laughs> and imagine this guy, the examiner, whose name happens to be Jesus, comes along and says, I'll tell you what, give it a shot and see how you go. So, being me, I'd look at that and I'd go, equals zero at the bottom, just because it often is. Um, and hand it over, and he'd say, nah, that's not right, try again. That's a second chance. But you see, what Jesus does is he comes along in the exam and he looks at it, and he looks at me and he says, how are you going? And I would say, I haven't the foggiest. He'd say, well, don't worry about it, get out of your seat, I'm going to sit down here and I'm going to do the exam for you. And I'm going to hand the exam up, and you get the marks. Whoa! Yes! Who wants that in an exam? Whoa! And the thing is that if they find out that Jesus did it for you and come back and try and make you do it again, Jesus says, hang on, I've paid the price. You can't ask the price again. That's unfair. So Jesus substituted himself for us because... And probably there are some smarty pantses out there who could work that out. But I couldn't. And therefore, what Jesus has done is said, well, I know you can't. You need to because you're not going to pass unless you get the right answer. But I'm going to do the exam for you. And the answer, and he knows the answer. That's the good thing. That's what I like about Jesus. He's great at calculus. And so, the consequence of that is amazing. Because if Jesus 
really paid for our sins by his death, we can never fall back into condemnation. You can never go back and put the wrong answer on the exam sheet. See, Jesus did all we should have done in our place so that when we accept him as our saviour, we are absolutely free from penalty and condemnation. That's, that's pretty good. That's exciting stuff. So, the third thing the Gospel tells us is what did the Father do? So, God Almighty sitting there, what did, he, what did He do? Well, He was like the head examiner. He had to accept the fact that Jesus died for us. He had to accept that sacrifice. And He did that. We know He did that because He raised Christ from the dead. And then... He gave us the grace and peace, which we see in verse 3, that Jesus Christ won for us. That's all he had to do. It was a question of accepting the sacrifice that Jesus made and saying that that sacrifice would then lead us into a place of peace and a place of grace. So why did God do it? Here's the big question, because he likes me nearly as much as he likes you. That's what you're thinking anyway. You see, it was all done out of grace, not because of anything we have done. It says in verse 4, just as God our Father planned. So he planned it. You see, we didn't ask to be rescued. But God in his grace planned for what we didn't know we needed. And Christ, by His grace, came to achieve the rescue that we couldn't achieve on our own. So we're given a choice. We haven't asked for rescue. But we have to decide whether we want to be rescued or we don't. That's left up to us. There is absolutely no indication of any other motivation or cause for Christ's mission except the will of God. There is nothing in us which merits it. Salvation is sheer grace. That's why verse 5 says, All glory to God forever and ever. Because all glory is God's and for all time. See, if we had contributed to our rescue, said, thanks for the rope, but I've got an inflatable life vest on. So I'm not really drowning, just waving. Good album. If we had rescued ourselves, if we had actually, on our way to drowning, suddenly learned to swim. Ah, hang on, yes, that's it. Right arm first, then left, and perhaps if I kick the legs a bit, hey, my head's above the water. Great, and perhaps if I turn like that and I can breathe out and then breathe, no, breathe in. <laughs> Don't breathe out the other way. <laughs> you can see swimming wasn't one of my strong points. Or, for instance, if God had been walking along and seen that somehow we deserved rescuing. They look as though they might be a useful person in the kingdom of God. I'll rescue them. They're tall and a good public speaker. Perhaps I'll rescue them. They've got a good heart. Perhaps I'll rescue them. If he'd seen anything deserving in us or possibly useful for the plan of his kingdom, yeah, that person's got a heart for the poor. They're going to they're gonna get a lot of souls saved. That person's a good organiser. They could, they could sort of get involved in church ministry. If there'd been something in us that God said, well, I can use those people. Or even if we had just simply called out for rescue because we understood 
in our minds what Jesus was offering. It's like, I'm drowning, there's a rope, there's a guy on the riverbank. Yeah, oh, that makes sense. If I hold on to that, I can get ready. Hey, pull, it, pull the rope in, pull the rope in. I'm drowning here. Even if we'd had the, the sense to do that, then we could pat ourselves on the back for the part we played in saving ourselves. But you see, the biblical gospel, that Paul's gospel is clear that salvation from the first to the last is God's doing. It is his calling, it is his plan, it is his action, and it is his work. Which is why we glorify God when we come on Sundays. We don't, we don't sing songs about how good we are. How great is the Christian army, how wonderful is C3 Church Norwood, how handsome are we, just how gosh darn good looking and, and useful we are in the kingdom of God. We don't, you haven't written any songs like that, have you, George? we're not playing them you see this is this is this is where humility comes into it the humbling truth that lies at the heart of christianity is that we love to be our own saviors now i know i'm right here because i'm i'm in australia and some of you are guys and it's an australian cultural attitude i was going to say failing but then none of you would actually believe me but it's an attitude that we are self-sufficient. I mean, who's, 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 a, who's a handyman here? Who likes to be handy around the house? Come on, put your right up, come on. Out of those people, how bad would the problem have to be before you actually called in a professional tradesman? <laughs> I mean, you, you would have to be up to here in water if it was a plumbing problem. Or the house would be falling down before you would actually say, perhaps, perhaps I can't actually handle this one. Perhaps I need some professional help to get this done. Because we're self-sufficient. We're, we're, we're in that mould of, of cavemen. You know, we can you give us a club and, and you know, we can do whatever you like. Hopefully a Ryobi club with built-in batteries and stuff. But we, can do, we have the capability within us. And to ask for help is a sign of weakness, which we, we won't. No, no, I need your help. No, I can do it my own, thanks. Yeah, you can lift the other end if you like, but I could probably manage it from here. But yeah, thanks, yeah, didn't need your help, but nice of you to offer. People tend to be like that, and, and women are the same, just more subtle. And so we, we, there's, a, there's a seed inside of every one of us that rebels against the idea that God has done everything and we can do nothing. We want somehow for our salvation to be in our control. We made the... I put my hand up. <laughs> yes, but only after the rescue was explained to you. <laughs> you didn't suddenly come and think, I'm looking for an answer in life and I, I think it might be... I need to be rescued by Jesus. Very few people, if anybody, actually ever comes to that conclusion until the gospel has been explained to them. And they see the need for a rescue. You see, we love messages of self-salvation. And this is what Paul is getting us so upset about because these people are being taught messages of self-salvation. If you believe these rules, if you enact these rules, then you will please God. This is why he's jumping up and down and getting hot under the collar because he realizes that these people are trying to teach the Galatians that salvation isn't all about God, that they can actually have something to do with their salvation. 
even, even in church, there's always that, we've got to be careful when we, we have cultural differences in our churches. We, we have rules in our church that we follow because it makes it easier to have church if we have a few rules in place. You know, like we, make, we have a rule that all the chairs face this way. Because it, it, it's just a bit unnerving to find people facing the other way while you're preaching. And so to make it easy, we've made a rule, all the chairs face this way. But having the chairs facing this way doesn't please God and doesn't affect your salvation. You could actually still get saved if you came and sat like this. G'day. Gosh, you are a handsome looking bunch. Perhaps we should have all the chairs around this way. I oh, know that, w- that wouldn't work, would it? So, but often we get caught up in the fact that our rules become so important that we rely on the rules to make us right with God. Even secular rules. You know, we, we like the idea that if you have an iPhone, you're cool amongst the Apple world. If you've got an Android fo- phone, you're actually cool because you've bucked the trend and you're not with all those losers with iPhones. <laughs> but it, you form these ideas of what it's important to have and... Thank you. What it's important not to have because of the immediate gratification that it gets you. You're blessed now. If you've got an iPhone, you're blessed when you're around other iPhone users because you can synchronise things and you can use Apple TV and stuff. Whereas if you're an Android user, you're blessed when you're around them because you can do whatever you like. I mean, it's an open world. You're not hemmed in with like those jobs followers. And so we get gratification out of the rules and we attempt to make the rules the way we please ourselves and the way we please God. God only blesses churches where the people, all the members have iPhones. If you start making rules like that, A, you're going to lose a lot of people and B, you're going to get a letter from Paul saying, you stupid Galatians, <laughs> why are you buying into this rubbish about iPhones? It's as bad as circumcision, or well, more expensive anyway. So the gospel actually comes in and turns all this thinking upside down. First of all, we actually have to admit, and it's hard, that we are in so, such a hopeless position that we need a rescue that has nothing to do with us at all. And the second thing it says is that God in Jesus provides a rescue which gives you far more than any other false salvation your heart wants to chase. Once we've got those two things, we've understood the gospel. Paul reminds us that the gospel brings us lower and raises us higher than we can imagine. But the glory all goes to God. Sometimes I think the gospel's presented in such a way that it plays with our minds because we rely on them too much. See, belief isn't all about our brain, it's about our heart as well. And it's about balance. And if we get them out of balance, if we think too much, Monty Python sketch, my name's Think Too Much. Then we get our life out of balance and we try and reason our way into the kingdom of God. If we get it out of balance the other way, our emotions take over and we think that how we feel is about getting into the kingdom of God. 
we actually need to understand that how we feel reflects our state of needing rescue. And our understanding determines whether we get rescued or not. So I want to give people an opportunity this morning. If you're here and you've suddenly realised that the gospel message is one that requires only one thing of you and that is humility and that recognise that your pride has actually stopped you having a relationship with Jesus Christ because somehow deep down you resent the fact that the relationship has nothing to do with you. Now hear me right, when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's two-way. We're important to God. But we have to recognise that to be introduced to God, only He has opened the way for the introduction. We haven't suddenly reached a level at which God says, well, that person's good enough, I'll, give you, I'll send an invite. And you get one in the mail and you think, Phew, I've finally done something right. I've got an invite from God. It never happens that way. The invitation is broadcast to everyone. All that we have to do is recognise that for us to have a relationship, we have to accept the invitation. So can I get everybody just to close their eyes so there's no one looking around. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're not what you would call yourself as a Christian. And yet you want to take that step. But you've never taken it, A, because you don't feel good enough you somehow feel that you're short of the mark that God must want to have people in his kingdom or the opposite you actually think you can do it on your own you don't actually need God but this morning you've come to a realisation that your current state of being is bears no relation to God's salvation whatsoever he has issued that invitation to every single person on this planet your only response can be I accept or I don't if you're in that place this morning and you want to actually take that step of saying okay I accept that offer while every head's bowed and eye closed I want you to lift your hand right now so that I can acknowledge it you can put it straight back down again and we can pray a prayer to accept that invitation is there anyone here this morning thank you I see that hand Anyone else who wants to make that decision? You may have made that decision before. Worry about the fact that, well, like I've said it once, but I don't feel like I've truly made the decision. Will God let me make it again? Yes, He will. Because the only person who puts you into condemnation is you. Jesus' death on the cross means that none of us can actually go back once we've taken it, that step. But we can come back again and say, okay, I want to change my position on this as many times as we feel is necessary.
So if that's you this morning, you feel like you need to make that commitment one more time, can I ask you to put your hand up as well? Because I'd love to pray with you. Okay, you can open your eyes. Let's stand. Now I'm going to ask that person who put their hand up to make a very brave step and come with me out the front here. I'd love to pray with you. Bring a friend if you need to. us all to pray this prayer are you ready okay pray after me Lord Jesus Christ I accept your offer of rescue I recognize that I play no part but the grace all comes from you I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and I reject all others. And I promise to walk with him the rest of my life.